pause from our series in the Psalms. We'll be back to them next week. The next two weeks, we'll finish up uh, the series of Psalms for the summer. We have some lost. Where's Joe? Back here. Gracie, back over here, hon. Wave for her, wave for her. (laughs) All right, that's all right. All right, so we'll be back to the Psalms uh, next week. Uh, Today, I was given the assignment to talk about neighborhood small groups, which are starting out soon. Uh, Instead of jumping right into neighborhood small groups, I want to first take a look at the church, what it is and what it is to be about. And so that's what the bulk of the message actually is going to be. And then we'll take a look at how neighborhood small groups fit into that here at Pine Grove. And so let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathering of the church. I ask that this morning you would help us to have a fuller understanding of what the church is and what the church is to be about. And uh, therefore, God, strengthen us by your spirit to, to do that, to be the church and to carry out the purposes that you have for us. And so God, teach us to do this well and to love each other well and care for each other. And uh, so guide our time now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we want to look at and consider is what is the church? So turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, please. Matthew chapter 16. Just so you know, this morning I'm going to be jumping all around, reading a bunch of verses. You won't have time to turn to all of those and uh, stay with me so you can listen. Some of those are listed in your notes that you can check back to later. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 here, uh, looking at verse 13. The context here is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of the living God. And so among the disciples, Peter confesses this. And then verse 18, Jesus says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we have this word church here. Uh, The only other usage of this word in the Gospels is related to church discipline. There's only one other verse, but it's used a a number of times, a great deal throughout the rest of the New Testament writings. And so verse 18 here, I will build my church. And so we have to recognize as we consider what is the church, the church shall be built by Jesus Christ and it belongs to him. It's built by Christ and belongs to him. And Jesus upholds the church. And therefore, it will endure against all things, even the spiritual forces of evil. Christ keeps it safe and secure and holds it, the church, for all eternity. Jesus has the power to do just that. Your sin can't ruin God's plan for the church. The failings of the church don't send it to hell. All the wicked and evil in this world and in the spiritual realm cannot destroy the church. Jesus Christ is all-powerful, and he promises to save. His church will live forever. Isn't that a great truth? You can stand on that truth. You can rest in that truth. Nothing will destroy the church. Even all of the evil and the chaos in this world due to sin will not destroy the church. Nothing will prevail against it. 
So this gives us some truths about the church, but doesn't quite yet tell us what it is. And so let's look further at this word church as we look at defining the word church. So if you've been around a while, you've heard this, the Greek word is, now I'm going to mispronounce it, ekklesia, there we go. Ekklesia, I think is how you pronounce it. And so the meaning of this word church in the New Testament is an assembly or a congregation, right? So it's a a gathering together. That's what the church, this word church means. And it has a connotation of being called out in order to gather. So in our context, it's called out of the world in order to gather together in sacred assembly before God. That's what the church is. So the church is made up of many imperfect people who have sin in their lives, but they are a forgiven and a redeemed people gathered together. And so we talk about the church building, right? But the church is the people, the sacred assembly of God's people. And so how does that happen? How does the church come together? Well, it happens through Jesus Christ, right? He said, I will build my church. The Son of God left the glories of heaven and came to earth in human form. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He died on a cross for the sin of the world and then rose again to everlasting life. And those redeemed people, those who are purchased by the blood of Christ, are the church, are his church. They are the congregation. They are the assembly, the people. I will build my church. Christ wasn't talking about buildings. He was talking about people, the sacred assembly, the gathering of his people. And so when you go to church, you're not just going to a building, but you're going to the gathering of God's people. And so as you look around, If I tell you to look around at the church, don't look at the lights and the ceiling fans and the walls. Look at the people. The people sitting around you are the church, those redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so let's look at the makeup of the church. The church, uh, the makeup of the church, what is it about? So we'll start big and then we're going to work smaller, all right? So first we see that the, the church is they're made up, there's a universal church and an invisible church. The church, universal and invisible. Um, I want to read for you our church statement of faith because uh, it can be helpful for us on this. It says it uh, concisely. So here's the statement from our uh, Constitution, our statements of faith. We believe that the church, universal and invisible, is composed of all such individuals who through saving faith in Jesus Christ have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and are united together in the body of Christ of which he is the head. And so the universal church is the whole church made up of faithful believers from all times and all places. Those who from the beginning of creation And until the end of time, look to Christ in faith. And yet, it is the universal church. It's all-encompassing. And yet, it is invisible, right? You can't see all of those people right now. They're not in view with our physical eyes. It's invisible. 
Now, of course, if you know your Bible well, you know that one day the universal church will be assembled together in God's presence to worship forever and ever. One day the invisible church will be visible as we gather together around the throne of God. What a glorious day that will be. So first we see the church universal and invisible. Second, we see the church local and visible. All right, local and visible. Here's our statement of faith. We believe that the church local and visible is composed of professed believers in Christ who organize and assemble, there's that word, assemble themselves together to glorify God through worship, prayer, singing, instruction and training in the word, fellowship, evangelism, observing the ordinances, and administering discipline. And so that's Pine Grove Community Church. That's what we are. We are the church, local and visible. We're a group of professing believers in the gospel of Christ. We're local. We're in a specific location right here in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And we are visible. Someone could walk in and they could see our sacred worship assembly. We see this local and visible also in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where there are seven specific churches that are being written to, right? There are specific local visible churches. So local and visible. And then within the local visible church, there's also structure that God gives us, right? The main structure is that God gives elders to oversee the spiritual care of God's people, and he gives deacons to oversee the physical care of God's people. And so these functions of spiritual oversight and care and physical, emotional oversight and care are carried out in a variety of ways then within the local church. The main one of those being Sunday morning worship gatherings. But there's many other opportunities of how those things play out as well. And so then what is the church like? This is what we uh, went over with the kids. So I want to know one thing for you here. We'll move really quickly through this. Um, in all of these metaphors, where you the local visible church, that's past God in these metaphors. In the, the local visible church, that's pastor, elders, and deacons within the local church. All right? So that makes sense? So when you see God in these metaphors, God is, is that, and yet in the local church, elders, pastors, deacons are those things. So we are under Christ, and yet we have a Christ-like function within the local visible church. And so the church is a family. Pastors, elder, deacons are church fathers. Right? Uh, the church is a bride, and so pastors, elders, deacons are church husbands. Right? The church is a body. We are church heads. The church is a flock of sheep. We are church shepherds. So those are functions of elders and deacons within the, the church. Again, many more metaphors throughout Scripture. Those are the main big picture ones. So next, what are the purposes of the church? If you think back to the statement of faith that I read about the local visible church, it listed out many things regarding what we are to do, what we are to be about. 
And so I want to categorize those things for you into, into three main areas. There's some cross over there, but three main areas. So the first purpose of the church is to worship God. Worship God. You were created to worship. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1. Right? You were saved to the praise of his glory. In other words, you were saved that you and your life might be worship unto God. Right? And so that's what you as an individual are to be about. That individual worship is carried out mainly in how you live your life. Right? Your life is to be worship unto God. Sometimes we categorize worship as singing or praying or reading our Bibles. And that's true. Those things are worship. And yet your life in whole and totality is to be worship unto God. Right? Romans 12, uh, starting verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? So your life, your growth in Christ is your act of worship. So that's for you individually, but that's not all. That's not enough. In addition, there is corporate worship. There is the church, the assembly, the congregation. And we see this starting even in the Old Testament, Right? We see the nation of Israel assembled, gathered to worship. Right? We see it at Mount Sinai. We see it, they gather, they assemble at the tabernacle in its various locations as they move about the land. We see it at the temple in Jerusalem. Right? They assembled to worship at specific times and specific places. So this idea of church is throughout. We see that the church is to church. In the Old Testament, we see them assembling, gathering to worship. In the New Testament, we see that the church is to assemble in order to worship God. Right? We recently preached through 1 Corinthians. Right? Much of that was about instructions for worshiping together, the assembly. What is the assembly supposed to be? What is it supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? Right? Instructions for church worship. So Old Testament, New Testament, and then... If you think about the book of Revelation, what do we see taking place over and over again? Worship, right? But it's corporate worship of God. It's assembly, right? Assembly of the saints, assembly of the angels, assembly of the spiritual beings all gathered together to worship God. And so it's not individual worship, which is important, but there's collective congregational worship, church worship. So there's some passages we could look at. You can turn to Psalm 102, if you would like. That's one we'll turn and look at specifically. Psalm 102. Starting in verse 18, here's what it says. Let this be regarded for a generation to come, so that the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die. That's us in our sin. 
that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Salvation to gather together and worship. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise, where? Where is the worship to take place? In the assembly of the godly. Corporate worship. First Peter 2, 9. We read this at the beginning for our call to worship. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Gather together for worship. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Our collective response to God and Christ and all that he has done to save us is to gather together to worship him. That's our purpose as a church. And you know, if you've been here every week, we begin our service with a call to worship. Right? We read Bible verses like those from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. God calls us, his redeemed people, to corporate worship. It is an essential purpose of the church. The assembling together. This is what the assembly is for, to gather together and worship God. So that's a purpose of the church. Second purpose of the church, to build mature disciples. Build mature disciples. Think of Matthew 28. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is a disciple? A disciple is a committed learner and follower of another. A disciple imitates the life and beliefs of another. And of course, we want to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. He is the one we follow and obey, and imitate, and model our lives after. The church should be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? Reproducing yourself in Christ. Reproducing yourself as a follower of Christ in other people. And so in the making of disciples, the church is to be built up to maturity. Spiritual maturity, maturity of faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 11, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to be built up to maturity, to Christ-likeness. Colossians 1.28, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
disciples are to be built up to maturity. The church, Pine Grove Community Church, is to be built up to maturity. We are to grow in spiritual maturity. So how does this take place? Well, we build disciples through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's one way, right? We build disciples through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And if you've been around for a while, you'll notice we don't hold back, right? Sometimes we preach hard things because it's for your spiritual maturity individually and for the growing maturity of Pine Grove corporately. Right? And so we want to be truthful to all of God's Word. Preaching God's Word, even the hard things, is good for you. And you may not like it at times, but it is good for you. It's building disciples to maturity. Another way this takes place, we build disciples by carrying out the two sacraments of the church. Right? The Lord's Supper and baptism. It's building, making disciples. We build disciples through church discipline. Yikes, careful, right? Church discipline simply means that we address sin in one another's lives, right? We address sin in people's lives. Sin has to be handled rightly in order to make disciples. If sin in your life isn't being dealt with, isn't being handled appropriately, you aren't going to grow to maturity as a disciple of Christ, right? And so we want to be doing that for one another, We want to be addressing sin in each other's lives as we see it. That's part of building disciples. We build disciples through fellowship with one another. Fellowship is spending meaningful, biblically-based time together. Fellowships, life-on-life relationships. That's how Jesus made disciples, right? He spent lots of time with them. The church is a great gift to you as a believer in Christ. The church is. There's no such thing as a just me and Jesus mentality. That's destructive. Right? It's, it's, we could even call it sinful. Right? People who take that approach shortchange themselves, they shortchange the church, and they put themselves in real spiritual danger. You need to be in fellowship with one another. Discipleship. We build disciples by equipping people to serve. One of the ways to, for you to grow in maturity, spiritual maturity, is by serving others in the church. And there's a whole variety of means and ways in which you can do that. God has given us a diversity of gifts and abilities and knowledge in the church. And disciples use those gifts and abilities to serve one another. A couple more. We build disciples by our love and care and nurture of one another. We build disciples through our prayers for one another. Our prayers for one another. This might be an underappreciated method of making disciples. If you want to see disciples made in our church, start praying for people. Pray for them individually by name. So for you, who are you praying for? How are you praying for them? Do you pray that they would be built to maturity in Christ more and more and more? There's a variety of other things we could list as far as building disciples. But the church is called to build mature disciples. So we're called to worship God, build mature disciples. And the third purpose of the church is to pro- proclaim Christ to the world. Proclaim Christ to the world, to those apart from him. 
to those who do not have faith in the gospel. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Luke 24, starting in verse 46, says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, to a lost world. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 13.47, Paul says, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We are to proclaim Christ to all the world. You have neighbors who do not believe the gospel. You have classmates who do not believe the gospel. You have co-workers who do not believe the gospel. You have friends. You have family who do not believe the gospel. You have a community in a world filled with people who do not believe the gospel. They haven't experienced God's mercy yet, and they're destined for an eternal hell. Our job, church, your job is to take the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to them in your words and in your deeds in order that they too might hear and believe and repent of their sins and find faith and find salvation in Jesus Christ. The church is to proclaim Christ to all the world. And if you're sitting back and thinking, well, that's a really good idea. Someone should do that. It's not someone. It's you. You should do it. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Is that your mentality? Is that how you view your own life? It's worth nothing to you, but that you might proclaim the gospel of Christ. Is your life, is our church so full of Jesus and appreciation for all that he has done to save us that you can't help but proclaim it to the world? Is that us? May God make us so. So the purposes of the church are to relate to God in worship. That's how we relate to God. We relate to one another in making, building mature disciples. We relate to unbelievers by proclaiming Christ to the world. So now as we've considered what the church is and what it's to be about, let me ask you a couple of questions for you personally to consider regarding the church. First, do you have a right view of the church? Do you see it as you should? Second question, do you value the church? Have you made it a priority to attend regularly? Do you uphold the church in prayer? Do you have value for the church? Third, do you see yourself as part of the church? Do you recognize that you are an important member of the church? 
Do you have a love for the church? Are you excited to be here? Are you involved? Are you giving of yourself, of your time and your resources to the church? Do you serve the church well? How do you see the church? How do you interact with the church? So now that we've seen what the church is and what the church is to be about, its purposes, we want to consider now neighborhood small groups. All right? How do neighborhood small groups fit into the ministry of Pine Grove Community Church? And so if you know your Bible, again, you know that neighborhood small groups are not directed to us by the Lord, right? They're mandated to us in Scripture. But we as elders implemented them a few years ago, and they'll be meeting again this fall. So we want to take a little time to talk about them, what they are, and how they work. Uh, Some of you are already involved in them. Some of you know what they're about. And so bear with me as I talk through them once more. Uh, If you're involved in a small group, a neighbor's small group, would you just raise your hand real high? Okay, so there you go. Lots of people are. Look around. If you aren't yet, you can talk to those people who have their hands up to find out more. Okay, so what are neighborhood small groups? Neighborhood small groups are regional gatherings of people from Pine Grove. They're just get-togethers. They are small groups, about 12 to 25 people in a group, depending on various sizes of the groups. They are arranged geographically. That's why we call them neighborhood small groups. They're meeting in neighborhoods. And so this is the small group ministry of our church. Simply put, that's what neighborhood small groups are. What is their purpose? Why do we have them? We have them to help facilitate the purposes of the church that I just talked through. Mainly, the second purpose of building mature disciples. That's the main purpose of our neighbor small groups, is to help facilitate the process of building mature disciples. So this is our main fellowship ministry. Our main ministry of life-on-life interaction, conversations, getting to know one another. And so these are groups that you can plug into in order to build meaningful relationships with others that lead to growing and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. So this isn't something we just thought of that would be just fun. It would be fun to get together. It's not just for fun, not just a fun idea, but it's intentional building of relationships to God's glory. That's what our neighborhood small groups are about. And so Sunday morning is our number one priority in the church. Sunday morning worship is commanded by God in his word. And so we will do that, number one. And then we view neighbor small groups as kind of a second priority uh, in our faithful building of disciples of Jesus Christ and in the church. Okay, second level priority behind Sunday morning. So we've placed a high priority on these groups, right? So each group has a church elder or elder-like appointee to oversee uh, each group. Uh, This elder leads the group in a shepherding function. We want these groups to be spiritually sound. We want your spiritual needs to be met in these groups. And so that's one of the main reasons we have an elder overseeing the group is to, to ensure that. Uh, neighborhood small groups are one way, one practical way for us to carry out Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where elders are told to pray carefully, uh, excuse me, pay careful attention 
to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so we want elders to be active, actively leading these groups for that purpose. We want to care for you. And one of the ways to do that is to be able to get to know you really well in these groups. It's hard to care for somebody really well if you don't really know them, right? And it's hard to get to know everyone really well in a group of this size. And so we break it down into small groups to get to know each other, build relationships so we can care for each other really well. So there's spiritual care and growth in these neighborhood small groups. But we also want to have these as opportunity to provide deacon-like care as well. And so again, deacons are charged with the physical care of people within the, within the church. to Make sure your physical needs are taken care of. So as you are known in a small group, your physical, emotional needs become known. There may be people within your group who can help meet that need, or that need may be passed on to the deacons for them to take a look at trying to meet that need. And so we don't have a specific deacon assigned to every group, but we want that deacon-like function also to be carried out in these groups through relationships as we see those. So in the neighborhood small groups, our goal is to provide really good care for you. That's what the groups are about. Good care spiritually, physically, emotionally, through the relationships that are built over time. These are a place for you to be really open and honest about what's going on in your life and in your walk with Christ. To be able, as you build trust with people over time, to be able to lay yourself bare, uh, knowing that you'll be properly cared for, loved, challenged, encouraged, all that. And, therefore, the other side of that, so you go, neighbor small groups are for you to be cared for, and they also give you an opportunity care, to care for others. Right? To care for others. So as you see their needs, you can be working to meet those as well. Okay, how do neighbor small groups operate? Again, they're organized geographically. Uh, there is a map with boundaries posted out in the hall. It may be other places as well, in the back as well. Okay? Um, so you can look at those if you're not in one, see which group you would be geographically assigned to. Uh, those boundary lines are flexible. It's okay to cross lines. We won't condemn you. Uh, if there's another group that works better for you for whatever reason, you might even be geographically closer to a, a group that meets that's not your technical neighborhood. So those boundary lines are flexible, but they are organized by neighborhoods throughout the, the Rhinelander area. I'm going to emphasize again this pink card is important uh, to get your information in the database because as elders email, send emails out to their neighborhoods with information about the small groups, you'll be included in that. So again, I want to emphasize, fill that out, turn it into the office. Uh, so most of the groups meet in homes throughout the areas, area of Rhinelander. I think there's only one that meets here at church. Uh, groups meet about twice a month. It could be every other week or but that, that meeting of about twice a month is organized by the elder. The format is fairly consistent, although there might be some variation among groups. Uh, most of them start with a, a meal together, usually a potluck meal. Everybody bring a little something, uh, have some conversation over, uh, over the meal. Then there's a short study of some kind in God's Word. 
and then a time of prayer together. So that's the real simple, basic format. Um, most groups, their meeting lasts about two, some push two and a half hours, but about that time frame. And so then throughout the meeting time, we hope that you're building relationships that will be mutually beneficial for you. Right? Mutually, mutually beneficial relationships that you'll be able to give encouragement when needed, walk through the various circumstances of life together, pray for one another, share God's word together, and maybe at times even have a little fun together. Any of your groups have any fun together? Some of them, right? Yeah, we have fun. All right? So it's relationships, life on life. Uh, we want you to see these groups as kind of a long-term investment. So what we would ask if you're not involved in one is not to just try out for one week or two meetings. You can do that. You'd be welcome to do that. But we really want you to invest and give it some time. Give it a year or two to see how those relationships grow and develop and build so you can build trust with one another. Relationships take time, right? Trust takes time. And so we want you to see these groups as a long-term investment as you build trust and closeness with one another and develop real care and concern for one another over time. Okay, lastly, why should you be involved in a neighborhood small group? So this is where I'm going to twist your arm a little bit if you're not involved in one. I'm going to sell it to you, all right? So here we go. Why should you be involved? First, God has created you for fellowship. Did you know that? God has created you for fellowship. What do you say to Adam? It is not good for him to be alone, right? It's not good for any of us to be alone. God has intended for you to be in relationships with other believers, and so this is a good opportunity for that. It's not the only opportunity, but it's a really good opportunity. Second, if you see yourself as maybe being more new to the faith or more immature in the faith, you look at others and say, wow, they know a lot, they they have a lot of knowledge, their life is really lined up with Christ, and I'm kind of farther off from that. If you see yourself as immature in the faith, this is a further opportunity for you to have spiritual growth in your life. So much of our learning and growth happens as we interact with others, right? We hear their thoughts on Scripture. We watch their lives. We see their faith play out in good times and in difficult times. So others can be a real help to you in your walk with God. Third, why should you be involved? If you need care. And by the way, you, you need care. Spiritual, physical, emotional. Don't stay away from these groups because you feel needy. Right? We are all needy in one way or another. So neighborhood groups are a good place to help meet those needs and to bear each other's burdens. Right? To carry out that bearing each other's burdens. And so come for that care And then fourth, you are needed. You're needed in these groups. You're a member of the body of Christ. You have gifts and abilities that can be utilized in the lives of other people that God wants to pour through you into the lives of others. And he wants you to serve his church. And so this is a really good way to do that as you get to know people and build relationships with others. God will work through you for his kingdom purposes, even in the lives of others. And so I really want to encourage each of you should consider being involved in a neighbor's small group. We've seen fruitfulness already from our small groups, and we hope to see much more fruitfulness by God's grace in the weeks and months and years to come. And so if you'd like further information or talk to someone further, grab an elder after the service or contact the church office during the week here 
and uh, we can get you plugged in or get you some more uh, information and questions answered. So, neighbors, small groups. Let's pray. Father God, we do know that you have purchased the church by the blood of Christ, that Jesus is building his church, that nothing, even the gates of hell, will withstand it. So we thank you for that promise that we can stand on and trust in. Thank you for the good gift of church to us that you have given us to one another as believers in Christ and is for your good purpose. So God, help us to worship well here at Pine Grove. Help us to do well in building mature disciples. Strengthen us in our proclaiming of the gospel, proclaiming Christ to the world around us and those who are lost and apart from Christ. Strengthen us for these things. And God, we ask your blessing to be upon our neighbors, small groups as well, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.